Reef Therapy by Reef Builders is brought to you by ICP Analysis. What's in your water? Reef Therapy by Reef Builders is brought to you by ICP Analysis. What's in your water? And now, here's Jake Adams and Mark Vanderwall. What's going on, Mark, man? We've had a nice little intermission. Yeah, yeah, we had to take some breaks. Yeah, well... Life of stuff going on that um, trumped getting together and making these videos. That's okay. You know, the whole thing about reef therapy is it's supposed to be on on our own terms and uh, still keep it fun. So don't ever want to keep it, uh, make it feel like a job for for either of us because then it just won't really come across as authentic, which I think is what a lot of people respond to, you know, just the... Nice general reef chat, and sometimes uh, accompanied by some deep reef aquarium discussions. Well, I had, uh, even though we didn't record one the other week, uh, I enjoyed, uh, I listened uh, to you uh, on uh, uh, Reef Bum. Yep. Um, And yeah, I enjoyed that talk. So it was like nice. I I got my Jake fix for the week, you know, (laughs) 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 indirectly. Uh, I wasn't wasn't conversing with you, but yeah, you guys went deep. That was Enjoyed three it. hours long. Yeah. No, I, I, it's, it's awesome to have those conversations with professionals, but it's also, it's really important. And it's a, something I repeated multiple times that, you know, Chris is a commercial coral farmer and the, you know, the things that people are doing at the frontier of knowledge and understanding and experience is not something that translate one-to-one to just someone who wants a decent reef tank in their home and just to have some corals looking nice, you know? So you don't always have to step on the gas and drive 100 miles per hour to have happy, thriving corals. Yeah, I agreed. Um, and I, I think when, you know, if you're in the business of farming corals, um, I mean, sort of like on my job, right? It's like the risk, you, you're a little more cautious. You're, you have to be a little more careful. You can certainly experiment on the side with tanks and stuff, but like the larger systems you want, you want to go with like known truths because you, you know, you don't want an experiment to go wrong and impact your business either. So I imagine those guys are, um, are a little more careful, right? Uh, they're not as, uh, no, I disagree. <laughs> when you get used to kind of like pushing the envelope and breaking the rules, I mean, I think every time that I've come up uh, or got uh, interested in like a new technique or a new method, I've almost always overdone it. <laughs> I've <laughs> almost always overdone it and then kind of pulled back, you know, and like I was pushing, pushing, pushing my pH. And then right when I got to 8.5, um, I just, it just, Something just didn't look right across the board. Not not bad, but I was like, all right, you know what? I think 8.4 is enough. <laughs> I think 8.4 is enough, you know? And I think every trace element I've ever tried, you know, it just probably went a little too far and then pulled it back. But I don't know. That's kind of how you, you learn the boundaries. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm bad with dose hand dosing because I I treat it like I'm cooking food. I'm like, yeah, a little more is okay, a little more, you know. And uh, I've I've certainly overdone it with additives um, when I was manually dosing a lot of that stuff. Um, and I learned my lesson, uh, especially like with amino acids and stuff. Like you know, when you've dosed too many of those, <laughs> uh, you know, I actually have not. I haven't. No. no. I, um, I, one time when uh, when I was working at Unique. Um, someone, uh, an intern set up a, a dosing pump, um, a single channel. It was cheap. It wasn't even like very controllable, like, you know, the pumps we have today. And, um, I think it siphoned. <laughs> oh, shoot. And I think like, you know, the big gallon jug went into a 2000 gallon system 
the only thing you could tell was just a, a tiny extra bacterial film on the sides of the walls. That was it. I've had, uh, I mean, the, the, the one, the, there's a reason I like specific amino acids because they're a little more for me tolerant of overdosing, but then I've tried some other amino acids and I won't mention brand names, but like, there's definitely some algae fuel in there. Like I was like, mm. Oh, okay. Something's, uh, something's fueling the algae and not just the corals. Um, I don't know what it is, but I, I do notice a difference. Like I saline for like, you could just dose the hell out of that uh, in my experience. Um, yeah. And then, of course, you know, Two Little Fishies, I feel like, is a pretty good one to dose with. doesn't really harm yeah, those, much. I mean, there's a lot of amino acids. And, then, you know, it's not really doing anybody any favors when everybody just calls them amino acids because you yeah. know they have different recipes. Saying there's amino acids in their additive is just like saying there's stuff. Here's their bottle of stuff. <laughs> you know, I don't even know how many thousands of amino acids there are. But, yeah, that's not super helpful and it doesn't help you. Uh, compare from one tank or from one uh, manufacturer to the next. So, so you're going to be out here, man, in just a few days. I am so yeah. excited about that. Like, you know, we're going to talk about a few things, but you're going to get to see it for yourself. I don't know, sometime next week. I'm looking forward to that. I really am. Uh, yep. It's uh, it's fun to like have seen. I guess the last time I visited you in Colorado, I don't, you you hadn't had the studio set up yet, and uh, um. So, you know, to, to see all these videos and see you building it out remotely through YouTube, like everybody else, it'll be fun to see it with your own eyes and, you know, kind of put it all together like, oh, okay. Yeah. So, and I know how you are. So I know that there's like YouTube, like the videos that you've made is like probably just like a snippet of the cool stuff that's there, <laughs> you know? So I think be, I could uh, spend all of my time documenting things that are here. And by the time I got finished, I, there'd be new things popping up and new things growing and new observations. Yeah. Um, but I did get a couple really awesome animals this week. Really freaking awesome. And this is one of those cases where I, I think there's, you know, a, a newer generation of reefers who maybe don't understand the, the great attention to detail about coral species, right? You know, uh, <laughs> I'm just never going to get over it, right? I'm never going to get over it when I see coral vendors selling Acanthastria echinata, Acanthastria rotundiflora, Acanthastria subechinata, Acanthastria hemfricki. They're all enchinatas. <laughs> just like, no, they're not. <laughs> it doesn't matter as much, but you can't appreciate the differences. And so one of the corals that I got um, this week um, from, I got two things from my good friend, uh, Taka uh, up in Boulder. He's been our Japanese correspondent for reef builders for man, like a decade. I think he gave me a foot long colony of Acropora tutuilensis. Dang. Do you remember that coral? Yeah. When I see that coral, I'm just like transported to reefer madness and Chris Turnier because at the time, man, he was just, he just. He was, you know, so ahead of his time, cherry picking corals, and he saw that the, you know, um, Acropora tutuilensis is just like this horizontally tabling staghorn, like such a weird, weird table acro. Uh, you know, they they come in from the wild, and 
they used to come in a lot more, obviously, when Fiji was going. Um, but they, I know they, they do occur in Indonesia and they do occur in Australia. But man, like Fiji was definitely the place for them. And um, his specimen is tank grown. So he took like, you know, a wild chunk and grew it out to about a foot long and it's solid. It's just a solid table with weird perforated branches at the tips. Nice. So where nice did you put it? Uh, um, I put it I, in the acropora system with a ton of light and a ton of flow. Um, he was growing one up in of the shallow lights. pools, or yeah, you have? yeah, w- yeah, one of the shallow tanks. But um, that's such a, a freaking cool coral. I'm gonna probably lop off a, a wedge, you know, just to kind of spread it out because it's so big. Um, it's not super manageable. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, it's just everything. I, I always remembered, uh, you know, kind of a jade green acro with a pink growth margin, and then the growth margin is kind of peppered and green core lights and green polyps, uh, similar to an efflow, but not an efflow at all. I need to see pictures of that. Well, I would send you pictures, but you're going to see it next week anyway. Yeah. So I think I might do a write up on it um, because this is one of those ch- cases. Like, if you didn't know, you just think it was kind of a random, you know, densely growing table acro, right? And under, I guess, uh, optimized conditions, it should grow back into like a tabling staghorn. Super neat. Yeah. And then the other thing he gave me was a, a golden hamlet. And um, that is one of those species that is actually, it, it's weird because it, it ranges all over the Caribbean. And, but it doesn't, it, there's nowhere you can go to get one, right? Like divers just have to come across it. It's actually, it's on the cover of, of the um, Paul Human uh, series of uh, Caribbean identification books. They got one book, for yeah. corals, one for fish, and one for creatures. And it's even the logo of the company. So it's a bright yellow, like mini grouper with a black, kind of black front of the head with a blue outline. Oh my lord! Like you can't you can't call up anyone and ask for it. You just have to be um, you know Johnny on the spot when it, if it, one shows up on uh, a Caribbean suppliers list. And Taka was on it, man. <laughs> he found it and he's had it for six months, and uh, he gave it to me as a wedding gift. So dumb question because I mean I, I was always familiar with them and I I just assumed it was like a deep water morph that and that's why it's so rare. But when I've gone scuba diving, I've seen the indigo hamlets. Uh, around mm-hmm. diving so um is it just you know wh- what is it that makes it just randomly pop up but be so discreet and yet at the same time still be well, successful as funny, a species here's the yeah. funny part there are like 12 or 13 described species of hypopelectris hamlets and there are no genetic markers between them what they're yeah, they don't have any differences so in scale counts. They don't have any differences in pectoral and fin rays. And in some of the liter- literature, they literally call them morphs. And there are some hybrids, but you do, but you still see, like mostly when they pair up, they pair up with the same color. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's such a strange fish that um, is a really interesting uh, research subject for geneticists trying to understand evolution because they've thrown a bunch of theories at why these fish are different colors but don't seem to, to fit the mold for typically different species. Right. Um, there's, you know, there's a couple populations that can be you know, found in concentrations. So I think like the yellowtail um, is common around Florida. Um, butter hamlets common everywhere. Um, 
there seems to be some, um, you know, uh, concentrations of golden hamlets off of uh, Nicaragua, I think. And, you know, this is a great time to, like, when you, when you come across some of these esoteric species, there's no information online because people are only paying attention to what other people are paying attention to, you know, whatever's, you know, the prom queen of the week or of the month. So I had to dig up, you know, 20-something-year-old books from Scott Michael to find out more about it. Like, it's, it's crazy. Like, some of these older books have really good information. And, uh, you know, Scott Michael's Reef Fishes series, I, mean, I know you know that book um, and series of books. It's just, I mean, there's nowhere, you, nowhere else you can find that information than in some, you know, good quality books like that. Those books were great because there was a lot of natural history, evolution, rare, you know, like geographic stuff. But then there was also just a lot of practical knowledge because he had been a fish keeper at some point as well, you know, and had kept a lot of these things. Uh, so uh, I've always admired that book, those those series of books for that reason. Um, you know, there's some books here that I don't pull out often. And if I'm researching a new species or piece of equipment or a different coral, um, I'll do my cursory research online. But then I know which book to pull out to get the, the, the verified factual information. You know, so Fathery's clam books are, are just such a great reference. Of course, there's Varen's Corals of the World, Scott Michael's uh, Reef Fishes, and then the whole giant series of books from uh, Rudy Keiter. You know, mostly just to find out like how big a fish gets, um, where it occurs, what depth it occurs. Um, so yeah, kind of, kind of interesting to, to uh, get two really special animals um, for my buddy Taka. So, arigato, Taka-san. Thank you so much, my buddy. And uh, I'll do my best to take good care of him. I'll tell you, uh, this will make you mad um, that uh -oh. I was such a... Well, uh, <clears throat> I didn't learn until about two weeks ago that there were so many different variants of mystery rasses. Hmm? From different locations like Tahiti and, you know, and they look different. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe your research, but I mean, I've been looking at Mr. Rasses for 20 freaking years. I still remember the first time I saw one, like, because it was such a special fish. And I have one. I think you have one, right, too? Yeah. Yeah. It's one yeah. of my all-time favorites. No, I was uh, typically, you know, like, again, even though I've kept this fish a million times, I have this weird habit when I get something. Mm -hmm. I, I have this habit of just researching it. Even though I've researched it a million times, I just, I enjoy that process. And I think it was on Reef Builders, it was Lemon uh, wrote a thing on them. And uh, he was like talking about the different, because, you know, it, yeah, I don't, I'm, maybe I'm misremembering it. But, I mean, he obviously talked about the super rare one. Uh, shoot. The uh, Trinus. Yes. The um, from, you're not counting that as a mystery, right? No, 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 no. Oh, okay, but yeah. uh, he was, he highlighted that there's some variation between the different islands. And, uh, and I was like, what? Like, all this time, I thought that, like, a mystery ras is a mystery ras is a mystery ras. Um, now I'm going to have to look oh, that up I, later. May I, yeah, now I'm going to have to go reread that, too, because I know, <laughs> you know, they look different from juveniles and into adulthood, you know, yeah. going from, like, you know, actually striped and kind of, like, lavender purple. And then when they're older, they're, you know, almost solid pink with a yellow girdle on their jaw. Yeah, and the white bars will fade, you know, and all that, but... Uh, um, anyway, I probably got that wrong and, uh, the YouTube folks will probably correct me, but I'm gonna have to <laughs> dig up that reef builders article. Cause I was like, wait, you know, um, yeah. Anyway, so I figured so you you'd school me on that. Like what? No, you didn't know that. No, no. <laughs> so now I feel better. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, we'll have to, I'll have to dig into it. And like, even just 
just planting the idea. I'll just look at pictures from a bunch of different places. Diving, dive photos are a good place to, to find that in situ information because they'll tell you where they're diving. That's the first thing they'll tell you. Um, you know, where specimens in the trade, they're all going to be kind of mixed up from Marshall Islands to Tahiti. I mean, we're not getting them from Tahiti. I know they occur there. Um, and I think, I think they found, they have found them in as far as the Philippines once and in a Hawaii. while. Oh, that's it, crazy. Yeah, that's they're crazy. all over the place, man. Uh, I think Japan, Hawaii, uh, I mean, obviously not common there, but I, you know, I've got a trip to Hawaii coming up uh, now that all the, thing, all the things are opening up again. I was like, man, that'd be awesome if I saw a mystery wrasse. <laughs> I saw one mystery wrasse in uh, Kwajalein, uh in the Marshall Islands, uh, about 130 feet. Dang. It, the water was so clear, you would have thought I was in 10 feet. Like, it was incredible. Like, I could see the multicolor angel like it was under a metal halide, but I was at 130 feet. And you could see, like, so far down because it was so freaking clear. Um, yeah, I, I miss uh, going around and then and, and going to the source. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how's your, how's your tank doing? Because you were out of town for a little bit, you know? We're still uh, kind of sh- settling in. Yeah, it, uh, it survived my first out-of-town experience. Um, I'm loving the lights. Uh, I, um, I, you know, I've run some older Kessels before, but uh, never really d- gave them like, never put them on like a main tank. I-, I guess other than like a little office reef tank in the past. But the smaller Kessels are the ultimate utility light. They They're are just small, compact. You know, you, you leave them attached to the uh, gooseneck, and then just put them on the shelf, and when you need them just for the refugium for a small tank for a frag show or just doing some work yeah ultimate utility light yeah i uh i'm going through this weird like i i even reached out to kessel about it because i'm like my like my fish are are li- like somebody fed them you know how we always bought like food to enhance coloration and fish you mm-hmm. know and like enhance the reds and your fish and all that i feel like i've been feeding my fish something because but it's the lights as soon as i turn those lights on um, I've got a, a screened in porch kind of off the room that, uh, my tank is at. And so when the weather's good, I'll sit out there and the bugs leave me alone cause it's screened in and I, I'm further away from the tank at that point. But I mean, you can see that pink mystery wrasse cruising around, uh, my purple dotty back, like just freaking glows purple, um, orange redfish. Like, uh, I've got a pair of flame angels that are just on fire and, um, it's like I was missing some spectrum or something, you know. Um, I don't know. I, there's something special about those lights. I'm, I'm, I can't stop talking about it, you know. Uh, <laughs> well, it's you know when you when you think that your flame angel or your royal grandma or your purple dotty back or your yellow tank, if you you think that they're washed out, but then you put some colorific lights on there, um, you know. And I don't want to act like Kessel is the only one, but no. they def- definitely yeah. executed it in the A500X. Um, all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, my fish aren't that pale. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you get used to like, oh, that's a pretty fish and that's as good as it gets, right? It's like, you know that as the, this is how my flame angel looks. And then all of a sudden you put a different light on it and it just glows orangey red and you're like, what the hell's going on? You know? So. How about um, the, um, the overall reefscape? How's that going? It's going good. Um I have a very low aquascape, very open, so I'm not really worried about any shadowing. I like the shadowing, right? We talked about that. It creates yeah. depth. Um, I do have – it's weird because I did I did pull out the par meter uh, 
because I one I wanted to raise the lights as high as I felt comfortable, uh, and I raised them up to about 31 inches above the water. Um, but then you know you got to dial in the intensity, uh, and I wanted to match it with my old lights, not to stress out my corals. And I did all that with a par meter, but my pavona is super pale. It's still got all of its uh, green, you know, phosphorescent color, but it's just mm -hmm. pale. And then even a lobophytum leather coral just is like almost white. So I'm like, hmm, you know, maybe there, maybe I need to, maybe there's some pockets of like high par that I'm missing or I'm, uh, I'm maybe it's just new tank syndrome, right? It's a brand new tank. And uh, I mean, it might be a little clean, you know, cause I've used, I assume you use a lot of new water, but I'm experiencing something similar right now with my reef led 160s where I went, what did I have on there? I had three Radeon Gen 4 Pros and I had them set to a pretty, um, pretty low intensity. And then I took part measurements um, and matched it with the Red Sea 160s. And that light, the corals respond to the, to the light color of the, the Red Sea Reef LED 160 as mm -hmm. if the par is much higher than it seems. So I think what, what happened, and I think this might be happening in some other lights, um, I haven't seen that yet in the A500X, is that if you put so much of your spectral energy into one spectrum, they might be over-activating uh, you know, chlorophyll. Because it's got an absorption peak around 420, 430, I think. So if you just blast that, you're going to uh, saturate the photosystem of, of just those oxanthellae before, you know, the, the entire animal. And so, it, yeah, it's weird. I'm, I'm seeing that also in my Red Sea lit coral flat. And again, you'll see in a, in a couple of weeks where, man, I think I have some stuff in the corner and it, it seems pretty dim. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's just too bright. Yeah, one good example is I got some uh, orange, I have some orange clove polyps, and I have them in the corner where they're probably getting like 50 par, 50 micromoles of par. And um, I have another frag from the same guy that I put in uh, one of my, come on, mid, mid intensity uh, lighting system. And that one's getting 100 par. And the 100 par lit orange cloves look flawless. And then the ones under the Red Sea Reef lead look very pale, very washed out. So I wonder if Red Sea just uh, maybe overdid it a little bit and it doesn't translate one-to-one -one when you're taking measurements with the power meter. Yeah, I, um, <clears throat> the other thing, and I think I told you about it, uh, was um, um, I had not noticed on my old lights that the UV lenses had you know, browned out. Oh, yes. And um, so even my uh, Blastomusa, like the green centers faded out. Um, I had some war coral, right, favites with the green centers, and they just, that coral just went full red over time. And mm -hmm. I, I at the time, I didn't think anything of why all that GFP, is it green fluorescent protein, is that what mm -hmm. it is, mm -hmm. um, was bailing. But then when I started reading about what spectrum range it was, uh, when I moved tanks, that's when I noticed, right, because you're handling those fixtures, and you're I'm like, oh, yeah. hey, look at that. And then Oops. here come the castles, right? And I obviously cranked up the UV on those. So maybe uh, maybe I should also dial back the UV kind of like, hey, you haven't had this in a while. You know, it's kind of like too much medicine. I got to work you up to it or something. Um, but I could also play like, I don't know. I think you're right, though. I think one, it's a full, like, there are spectral differences, right, in these lights. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, Maybe certain things fade out over time, you know, and I like those UVs, right? And the corals are like, whoa, hey, hold on a second. So, 
Yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah, no, a little weird. UV goes a long way. You know, I, I was able to resolve some of the broader bleaching because I also have, you know, some thin-branched uh, red Montiporos and some Anacropora and some Monopora caps that at first they were, like, really pale. And it wasn't until I really started pounding the tank with nitrates and then feeding the fish a lot more to get some phosphates that a lot of those guys perked up, not just in that system, but across all my systems. Um, I don't know if I communicated that in my interview with Reef Bum. <laughs> I'm just like, I, I, I've tried feeding so much and it just made the tank really dirty. And now I'm just basically dosing about, you know, at least five PPM a week for all my systems. <laughs> I should I don't do that. Know, I, I don't know if it's it. the, the answer is to keep it high or to let the coral consume it, right? I'm not sure if there's a difference between keeping the levels at five and then bumping up to 10 or, you know, letting the, the levels go to zero, but I'm still yeah. adding five PPMs worth a week, right? Like, does it need to, to stay in solution all the time? So still a lot of interesting questions to, to be answered and discovered in the reef aquarium hobby. Yeah, that's the thing about dosing, right? It's like you're measuring what hasn't been consumed. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, when it's at a fixed level over the period of month, that's probably good. And it shows that there's always something available. But to your point, you could be at zero, but that really like what you're dosing is just being consumed. And that's that's all that it needs. Mm -hmm. And especially something like a, a nutrient that could uh, cause other problems if you overdose it, it almost might be better to just not shoot for like a testable value, but shoot for like observational dosing. Like, okay, mm. when I dose at five PPM, everything looks happy, even though my test kit says I'm a, I'm running on empty. All my corals look happy, but the only corals that lost color, like really noticeably, would be some of my highest light corals. You know, like they darkened up, right? And in, in some corals, it looks amazing. Right, your lytostellas and your microclados, um, and a lot of staghorns, you know, perked up. But my humulus, they're you know, they're super efficient, super high light, super clean reef kind of corals, and um, they have noticeably darkened because I had one that was like really baby blue. I you know had it for months, and um, I'm not sure whether I let the nutrients go down or if I just put a little spotlight, you know, because I kind of have them together. So I'm, I'm really tossing around the idea of um, taking a um, uh, slightly used uh, Kessel A360X and just using the narrow angle reflector and just create like this nice little bright light zone just for the humulus. I mean, everything around them can handle a little bit more light, but I know the humulus can just get, you know, they'll take everything you can, you can throw at them. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a tough coral, man. Are you having good success with it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've got it. It's basically, it's basically my like flow breaker, right? I have a, um, let's see, Aquabee. That's a good 8, way to put it. Yeah, it's it's literally the uh, the break, the wave break. Um, the Aquabee Up 8000, it's coming out of a clover nozzle, and it's the water is basically crashing over uh, four different colonies of humulus. I don't know, my green one could be a gemifera because it has like really thick branches, and it's bright neon green, like really, really cool. But they're just so short and fat and close together, it doesn't look like the other three humulus. That's always been a cool idea of tank for me, like those type of, you know, reef crest corals that just take a beating and have those dense branches like those guys and then just mm -hmm. have like a massive surge going through it. Um, massive a guy, surge, like, massive light. Yeah. 
low nutrients that that's one for sure that i would keep if i did a tank dedicated to like that section of the reef um i would keep it low nutrients but make sure it was consistently or continuously dosed yeah yeah i i kept those i kept i think it was a gymnifera a long time ago under iwasaki's and um it did okay for a while uh but um, I think back in the Maxijet powerhead days, it just was a lost cause. That's the <laughs> oh my god, dude! I still remember your tank of the month in two thousand one. <laughs> did you have? Did you have a walkie on the return pump and like try to create some flow with some maxi jets in the tank? It was something like that. Yeah, I, no, I think I used a mag like twelve or something, like a mag eighteen. But because was, your, because your metal halite lid tank wasn't warm enough. No, yeah, <laughs> and I lived in an apartment, and I was scared of leaks. And I'll bet you didn't have uh, dinoflagellates back then. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> the light is literally too bright for dinos. That's <laughs> dinos are is. like, I'm out. Um, I'm out. It's just funny, right? Like, uh, yeah, but that's and that. Oh God, um, Pasilopora is it Veracosa? Mm-hmm. No, um, the real chunky Pasilipor, I, I got the, some of the that. The chunkiest would be like Meandrina, and then chunkier than that is a Duxie. Okay, like this was that big chunky, like like what you'd see in Hawaii, I guess as well. You know, like but but hot yeah. pink. You know, just yeah. Uh, yep. I had one of those, and it just didn't grow. You know, and I think mm. it was probably flow related. Um, I'll bet you it was nutrients. That could I bet be too. you it was nutrients because we were all I have a few pieces sandbedding it, and <laughs> we were all just going to war on on nutrients. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a few different uh, mandrinas and one varicosa. But man, one of my uh, varicosas is turning into a damacornis. Oh, really? L- like it's when like you adjusting it, to the current and saying, "All right, I'm going to go slightly smaller." No, that, that's that's one calling that is not in very high flow. It, I mean, mm. it's got pretty good flow. But, um, yeah, I, I'm actually in the process. I'm going to be adding some, like, a giant light bar over my three uh, tanks, the two-foot, three-foot, the four-foot, so just one large common light bar. Because, you know, when you use um, mounting arms for lights, you're kind of limited to, the you know, what the manufacturer has, you know, says you can do with it, right? So, you know, one example is the Radeon mounting system. It's at a fixed height. And that's what you get, <laughs> you know? Um, and I, I almost want to get my lights higher and and get more even light distribution. And then um, there's a lot of cool LED strip lights. I mean, I already have a stack. And I was thinking about how to install it on one tank and then install it on the other tank and then the other tank. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to install one giant light bar and then everything can just hang. It'll be super nice and clean. Yeah, I mean, so I, I'm in the process was, of adding more light to where that that possible port is. So hopefully it'll pink up. And even though even if it does pink up, though, like the branches right now, if somebody gave me a frag of this, I would swear up and down it was possible port amicornis. But I know for a fact that it came from a meandrina varicosa kind of deal. So it's um, so it's not the growth form. It's more like the coloration you're 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 seeing like is starting to be uh, damacornis style, or maybe I misinterpreted. Um, no, it, it was hot pink. 
Yeah. And I guess it's in maybe in, you know, lesser flow and lesser light now. So it's greenish, you know, it's got that, that like base coat <laughs> of green. Of green not, with like really pink. green. Yeah. 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 So I need, mean, it's, it's not as important when you first set up a tank, right? You shouldn't necessarily set up a tank with all the lights you're ever going to need because right. your corals are small and they're not shading themselves and they're not shading each other. But definitely now in a couple of the tanks, as I'm packing them a little bit more densely and they're growing in, um, there's more self shading and shading of other corals so it's definitely to the point where um, adding some strip lights is is going to be beneficial for the corals and it's going to make the overall presentation of the tank that much better gotcha yeah i'm i'm still shocked that i'm at i think about 31 inches above the water line and i had to turn the um those a500s down to like 65 percent intensity which in my brain means well, if I've got room to increase intensity, that means I can go higher, right? But uh, I've got, you know, with with all the travel and everything else, I'm like, yeah, that'll be maybe like a fall project or something when I'm mm. when it's crappy outside and I need something to do. Well, speaking of uh, SPS corals, man, um, did you see the story uh, this morning about the Solomon Island millipores? Uh, something about unique coral. I haven't read it yet, though. Um, um, so unique scoop corals there? and Tim Kelly have been working on uh, you know basically an export business in solomon islands and it's really hard you, you know imagine just trying to go to a government office and get the paperwork but it takes like two weeks because somebody's out of town or somebody's that's not in that day they have like you know they're open like three or four hours a day so and, you, and then you, if you catch them open you might have to wait in line so it's just really really hard and i've been chipping away at this for like God, it's going to be three years at the end of the summer, and Tim's actually going to be out here a few weeks after you. And um, I think they finally hit a stride where they're getting um, kind of small shipments every week. Mm. And, God, seeing those millies again, just, you know, people are super hot for the Acropora tenuous, but millies, man, that's the original tenuous, right? Yep. I mean, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, we always knew like that was a coral to strive for. And then, you know, the, all the different colors, like, you know, gold, orange, red, pink, blue, green. And then they'll have, you know, a lot, a lot of times they'll have a greenish base, um, colored tips, colored tentacles, and then just like a, a gradient all along the way. And it's just super neat to see like three pink millies, five pink millies from Solomon Islands. Everyone is different. Yeah. Underwater, you don't even see that underwater, right? But in their aquarium conditions with aquarium lighting, and you can scrutinize them a little bit better. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. So those are the corals. The, the reason I love the millies is, you know, obviously they have cool shape, crazy awesome polyp extension. Uh, they grow fast, man. They really can grow fast. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's one of those corals you can appreciate up close and far away. Yeah. It's got right. the it's got the intense color, but then in, up close you can see the the delicate details. The way the coralites are structured is super cool, uh, and they're furry, man. They got polyp extension out the wazoo. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I saw mean, uh, I saw like a spawning tank in in Singapore five six years ago where they were feeding the the coral so much that they gave it. Um, Oh my God, they had to change all the tank water like twice a week. <laughs> like they were feeding it so much baby brine shrimp. Um, it was kind of crazy. They were so shaggy, man. You could not tell what kind of coral it was. Like it didn't even look like an acro anymore. It just looked like a fuzzball. <laughs> it was insane. 
Uh, there has been sometimes, yeah, like certain like frozen foods that even when I when I used to keep them, like I would add them and like some of the oily foods, man, like the polyps would just get almost stringy at times, yeah. you know, where it's you're like, what is going on with that coral? Um, that's that's my all-time favorite Acropora is the Milliporus. Um, if Acropora Millipora was the last acro I was ever able to grow, right? If like, they're like, okay, you're rationed to one Acropora for the rest of your life. I'm like, I'd be happy with an Acropora Millipora forever. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. So, yeah, it's super cool to see unique corals um, making some progress with the Solomon Islands because it's not just harvesting the corals. I mean, there's a lot of legalese. Um, then you have to figure out, you know, how to pack them, how to ship them, how to hold them. Like there's a huge learning curve of dealing with wild corals from scratch. And I think they're finally starting to nail it. And, uh, you know, hope maybe in the future we'll get some new wild colonies of purple monster or other types of monsters. I was going to ask, have they started bringing in the purple monster again? Because I remember when you took a trip, I think with Tim, right? Yeah, uh, yep. you guys, you guys collected some. Um, yeah, I have one tiny little encrusted spat that I'm really hoping will respond to my boosted nutrients because I've I've managed not to kill it for like six years. It's it's yeah. embarrassing, except that it's not dead. I still have it. <laughs> it's I not embarrassing with the purple monster because that's got to be the slowest growing acropora ever. I mean, it's I've only seen a couple places where someone had it dialed in, and yeah. it was like, whoa. Michael Moyer, he had a like a two-handed chunk. It didn't even look real anymore, you know, until I saw him out in the wild. And you're just like, wow. But interesting segue is that when Tim and I went to Solomon Islands, I don't know, the umpteenth time, um, we were looking for the purple monster, which we found. We were looking for Branching Moon, Astralogyra, one of your first corals, Stonies. And we were looking for another coral that I had seen in books called Acropora multi-acuta. And I've never seen it. I've never seen it. I've never found it. Um, Vincent came across some in Sulawesi or Manado or something in central Indonesia. And he thought it looked like a raggedy colony because it just, you know, it was there and you could tell what it was, but it just didn't look right. And um, my, I, I'm, I'm getting indications that they have collected one colony of this um, multi-acuta. And it basically looks... To my eyes, so far, it looks like a suharsanoi where someone's broken off the branches. <laughs> where it's like long, tapering, you know, axial corolites, but they end bluntly. That's so weird. weird. So freaking weird. And so we've always called it the unicorn coral for two things. One, yeah, I mean, each branch just basically looks like a horn, especially the way it's cut off. And two, uh, it's been so hard to find, even like going out and looking for it. Um, the weird thing is it looks like a deep water, but it's a super shallow water coral. It's only known from like really shallow places. And so it's, I'm very excited to see what a, a highlight, smooth-skinned, naked acro looks like and how it does in an aquarium. That's going to be fun. I, I might have it here by the time you come next week. Oh, that'd be cool. It's supposed to be landing at Unique tomorrow thursday so that's you know this is one of those ways that like learning the species the real species names of corals helps you you know do um you know google scholar searches and skim the the scientific literature for more information about golden hamlets or tabling staghorns or unicorn acros right this is why the species names matter and i think some of these animals are a perfect example of that 
Yeah, I imagine there's some listeners. I mean, even on that last one, I'm going to be uh, going to Varen's site and looking it up, right? But it's it's like that's like I said, even though I've kept something a million times, I love to pull the books out. And I love to Google and and just read people's experiences because sometimes things mm-hmm. change too, right? Um, but I mean, that's 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 how you learn, right? You're like, what the mm-hmm. hell is Jake talking about? All right, let me go Google this thing. You know, let me go read about it. And now it's it's in here. You know, it's in there forever. Well, I started reading, you know, the Corals of the World books when I was like 17. I think that's when they came out in 2001, and maybe 18. And man, I didn't understand what I was reading, right? And some of the stuff in Scott Michael's books, when you read it with um, the, a new lens, you absorb more information, right? So I still refer to Daniel Knopf's clam book. I still refer to Fathery's clams books. Um, and yeah, no, it, it, there's only a few paragraphs in Coral of the World on every coral. I've reread them so many times throughout the years of the corals that I like. And uh, yeah, there's no shame and there's nothing wrong with rereading something and just, you know, understanding what is being the information that's being presented a lot more. Yeah, it's also fun to pick out like a, a country that does not have any collection or exports and then like start oh, to yeah. figure out like what the hell lives and grows there and like, oh, mm-hmm. like then you suddenly learn like, oh, there's a, a there's a, a wrasse there that, you know, like for instance, uh, you know, the the mystery wrasse discussion we had like, oh, there's a there's a morph of a wrasse there or there's a coral there that only occurs there. And it's fun too when you yep. misidentify a coral because you're like, Oh yeah, that's what my coral looks like. And you're like, well, wait a minute. It's from this little island and I know they don't export from there. So I know I got that wrong, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, you know, a perfect example is Acan Maxima. Yep. You know, Acan Maxima, which was redescribed as sclerophilia, first of all, is only from the Red Sea. And it's just kind of embarrassing, you know, that people went around and called, you know, certain coral Acan Maxima and just never bothered. <laughs> Never, no one ever bothered to just double check to verify. I'm like, oh, this coral's literally only known from the Red Sea, right? It does. It's not like it has a range to the Maldives or to the Seychelles or to the you know Eastern Indian Ocean, and maybe there's some waves that they don't know about. No, it's way over there. We have never seen Acan Maxima, and from what I've seen from the photographs, they're probably really ugly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yeah. If, you, if anybody want to look at, wants to look it up, it's multi-acuta, just like it sounds, like hooked on phonics, just phonetically spell it out, multi-acuta. And, uh, you know, I, I'll be doing some stories on reef builders in the coming days on the Tutuilensis and the Golden Hamlet and the, the Unicorn Acro. So, yeah, just stay tuned on reef builders and uh, we'll, uh, we'll stay on top of it. Oh man. So I, I definitely want to wrap up this conversation, um, you know, talking about, um, the people that inspired us in the aquarium hobby. But I think there's a one big topic that I think our listeners are dying to hear our point of view. Oh, I, I'm going to take a guess. Yeah, go for it. Uh, the, uh, the fact that Marine Depot is now bulk resupply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bulk resupply. Um, you know, they purchased, they acquired Marine Depot. You know, and this is this is not like when Ecotech Marine and Aqualumination merged. Yeah, right. That happened over five years ago, six, seven years ago, and those two companies operate together now. It's one company with two brands and two locations. You know, so it's not like that. Marine Depot will no longer exist. I have talked to a few people who said they want to just put in like a, a, 
an order just for a sentimental sake. They just want to get a sentimental, sentimental last order for Marine Depot. <laughs> That'd be funny too. Like if in the last couple of weeks, they just started throwing a bunch of tchotchkes, you know, just like Marine Depot shirts and, and, and like keychains and stickers and just get that stuff out there just while, while you still can. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I mean, maybe it's uh maybe it's a little too much to call it an institution, but it, it was, it's been around forever, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, I think a lot of us grew up in our reef keeping history with them at the forefront of online ordering. Uh, you and I are older than that, man. I remember when Marine Depot was a little scrappy upstart from yep. California and Custom Aquatic was the jam. Yep. Do you remember Custom Aquatic? I do. And then before that, you know, it was, uh, you know, I think that fish place had a uh, much stronger because it was a physical catalog presence. And before that, there was, you know, Debron Aquatics. And so oh, I just. Debron, yeah. They were based mm-hmm. out of Denver, weren't they? Yep. Yep. The, yeah. the store technically still exists. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there was like a Pets Warehouse that had like a crazy catalog. Yeah. Pets Warehouse and, and a few others. So, so I don't know. I think because of seeing this progression of companies, you know, rise and dominate and then fall, I'm less anxious about it. Granted, I think the mechanisms, the mechanisms that are going on right now with tens of millions of dollars of financial backing from a venture capital group um, sets a different tone. And I think that's what has, I, I, a lot of people are, are, are uh, nervous about it. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I think to have like a strong emotional reaction about it is probably overkill. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my concerns, but like I'm not going to lose sleep over these things. Is uh, one is more personally selfish, and that's uh, Marine Depot had distribution out of Athens, Georgia. So when I would place an order, and I remember mm-hmm. I stumbled upon this because I I was loyal to ordering them from them in the past, and I'm like, all right, that thing's got to ship from California. I got to be patient. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I order some from them, and it was like there the next day, and I was like, what the hell? And then the I saw heck? the address, and then I, I learned about that they had those multiple distribution centers. So I hope that bulk resupply continues to, um, I guess, honor or, like, follow that type of distribution I model. I think they already hinted that, that they won't yeah, because so that's they have because they have such a large distribution facility in Minnesota. Um uh, you know they didn't. I don't, they didn't explicitly say anything, but I think they hinted that you know they have such infrastructure up in Minnesota already. Yeah. Um, they just it doesn't really make sense in the overall scheme of the company. But um, you know, I, I think for the consumer, it's going to be just fine, right? Yeah. You know, if this was going on like t- twenty years ago, and we didn't have nearly this much global connectivity with our our social groups and social media, um, you know, a company like that. First of all, there's map pricing for everything, so I'm not worried about pricing to the consumers, right? That stuff is going to just stay super rock solid. Like that's set by the manufacturers. That's not a big deal. But, you know, uh, 10 to 20 years ago, um, a a juggernaut company could have squashed ideas. They could have said, yeah, you know what? Eh, We don't want to carry that. That's a little too risky. Well, that's where I was going to go on the second point is like some of these companies that have creative ideas that are trying to build momentum once you start to have these like m- larger companies, and I'm not going to call them a monopoly because there's they're not right. There's no. plenty of other vendors out there still, but if 
if bulk reef supply decides to pass on your product, um, that might not be such a good thing. So um, there's concern there. And, and you know, hopefully they don't uh, – Hopefully, I mean, they, they're, they all, the people that are at least, you know, that, that we get exposed to on the bulk reef supply side, um, via their social media, they all seem really passionate. So I don't, I don't see them doing that, right? If somebody comes up with something and interesting and I've cool, they're going to the check opposite. it out. Yeah. You know? I've actually seen the opposite with, um, with bulk reef supply. Like I've run into the team at Interzoo and pointed out a couple really off the wall product. And months later, I find out that, you know, bulk reef supply is now the, was, you know, for a while, they, they took a, a gamble on a thieling, which had one of the first kind of commercially available, uh, roll filters. And, you know, they did that for a while, but I think that model just wasn't great for like dropping into a sump, but they took a chance, right? So they did that. So I don't think bulk reef supply is so big that they can squash companies or squash ideas or upstarts, you know, of someone who wants to come up in the market because now, nah, I mean, God, you can reach your, your audience, right? You've got some um, really off the wall brands or just like, um, you know, Nanobox Reef crushed it for a long time until a whole slew of um secondhand lights just basically undermine his old business model um you've got refi those are american-made lights um you know he's doing just fine he doesn't need to sell thousands of lights a month yeah. to keep a staff going um you know there's a lot of upstart companies and you got kickstarter and you got facebook groups and there's 3d printing and so a lot of that the the, the novelty is being decentralized and so i'm not super worried about innovation but on the flip side um bulk resupply does have the size to put companies on the map and to put certain companies on the map and to help drive the discussion and you know from from what we've seen um for the most part you and i are not shouting at our screens when we watch their videos you know there's always like maybe like a more accurate way to do things yeah but by and large man i think they're sharing pretty freaking good information yeah i think that they i, I think anybody you know, I, I've had some some minor beef with some of their videos, uh, but at the same rate, I try to take 10 steps back and think about the gr greater good, you know, and look at mm -hmm. like what they are putting out there. Uh, I don't like that sometimes they come off like they're being scientific and they're doing scientific experiments when that's, like, that's a fair point. That's you know, a fair point um, right there. In the name of science, I'm like, yeah, no, no, that's not science. <laughs> but they also are willing to course correct. Like the whole UV sterilizer thing, they were like, hey, running two UVs at different flows, yeah, that's dumb. Sorry, guys. And they took I didn't it back. see that. What yeah. the heck was that? <laughs> well, like, because there's a, an ideal flow for parasites and there's an ideal flow for what they believe would be good for like algae control, right? Uh, and... Um, I don't know what the, they did, they ran some tests and they were like, you know, like there's like an immediate difference, but then like six months later, it's all a wash. But I mm -hmm. gave him credit for backtracking on that and saying, hey, we were wrong, right? Where like a skeptic could say, well, you know, hey, if they convince you to buy two UV sterilizers, that's good for them. So I, I give know, them credit a, for that kind of thing. That's a cheap argument, right? I, of course, it's a yeah. for-profit business. Um, so is Reef Builders. And it's just, it's very unimaginative to come yeah. to the first basic conclusions that you can, right? You know, sure, they want to sell more stuff, but I, they're, they're, they've shown themselves not to be driven by that. No, they're, they're, right? def they're, they're definitely a hobbyist, true and true. Um, and, you know, I, you know, I'd like my only concern is, uh, and y you're right, you know, because they also have the capacity to boost the sales of like a small shop if they're really excited about a product. But like, um, I saw a video where he was really excited about. Remember the sea swirls? 
and he had reached out to the guy that makes those and was like, man, I want to start selling these on bulk grief supply. And the guy's like, ah, I just build these, you know, like I build these at a small volume. Like I don't want to mm-hmm. have to scale up for bulk grief supply levels, right? Like, cause I think if you sell something a bulk grief supply, you probably need to up your volume, your output of manufacturing and, yeah. and, and, Con- you know, pallets and containers. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you, but in this day and age, to your point, uh, these guys do just fine with their own websites. You know, they can sponsor on a forum. Um, I mean, I think even things like PayPal and Tile really like took a lot of that out of the equation where anybody can accept payments of any form. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I'm not, I, I don't, I don't think they're a, mo- uh, a monopoly. I don't think they're going to steer the ship of the hobby and, and, you know, we're going to have a, a pre bulk grief supply and post bulk grief supply, uh, eras. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, I think people probably overreact a bit on that. Um, you know, as, as a content creator of like 13 years, we have 13,000 articles on reef builders. We make mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, I've given a ton of talks and I, I do a bunch of videos and it, you know, if I do a hundred videos in one year, I guarantee you there's a few of them. I'll step back and be like, Oh, well, I don't know if I still agree with what I said literally months ago, right? Every, a lot of this is fluid. Um, you, you know, you 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 can always say if someone's putting their neck out there and, and speaking up, there's just, someone's going to be looking out for that. Gotcha. You know, Oh no, that's not right. And I'm the worst when it comes to species IDs, but I feel like that's important. <laughs> so that one's a little different, but, but yeah, I mean, if you, if you create a thousand videos, I don't know how many they're up to, you know, there's going to be a few that not everyone agrees with. And I'm sure some of them, they're like, Oh, we're you're a little bit off on that, but they're trying They're They're, they're being creative. And, you know, to, I don't think that mail order is bigger than in-store retail. That's how I, I really feel. Right. I don't feel like they're anywhere close to a monopoly, maybe getting close and headed that direction in the online space. But the vast majority of the, the goods are sold at stores, man. Mm-hmm. So if you have any reservations about what's happening in the online retail space, support your local fish store. Right? I was going to say the exact same thing. It's like, uh, you know, um, I, if I, you know, one, if, uh, if I need something and I know my local store has it, I'm, I'm bound to go get it. There is that passive shopping where I can kind of like, well, I'm at work. I can't hop in the car and go to the fish store, but you know, I can place an order and it'll be here in a few days. And that's just hyper convenient for me because now I don't have to fit into my schedule, hopping in my car mm-hmm. and going to that fish store. Um, but I mean, God, you know, like from a nostalgic perspective, like some of the looking back at the hobby and being a kid and being a teenager and being a 20 something, like going to the local fish store was like part of it, man. Like, you know, um, yeah. it wasn't just that you needed to buy a replacement pump. It's like, Oh, what's, what, what corals did they get this week? Or, you know, what's, what's, uh, what's in the- you and you and me and a couple guys used to meet up on Saturdays, every Saturday. It was like our impromptu little reefer club. And we'd compare notes and we'd share notes. And so, you know, in a good thriving reef shop, you shouldn't just be talking to the employees and the owner. You should be talking to some of the other folks and faces that you see there on a regular basis because you'd be surprised how close they might live to you and someone who might be able to help you out with some spare equipment or trade some frags or, you know, take an overgrown fish off your hands. So, you know, the real reef scene is in person. That's yep. the real reef world. 
That's why the reef shows are so fun because like if you're there and you see any other reefer there, you know you have the same motivations yeah. to be there. Yeah. Right. And so like the the our reef aquarium conference is is basically, you know, the reef aquarium store experience times a hundred. Agreed. Yeah. And I mean I get there's people that live in areas where maybe there isn't a local fish store or their local fish store isn't so great. You know, I'm very fortunate. Mm -hmm. I have an amazing local reef store, saltwater, dedicated to saltwater reef, right, Uh, and marine fish. Um, It's an awesome store. Their dry goods are great. So I'm super lucky. Like, something goes wrong with my tank, I can go there the next day and buy exactly what I need, you know, and that's a huge plus. Sometimes because, man, you know, I go to a bunch of different stores. I don't have a a specific one. We don't have like one mega store like you have (laughs) with your reef. (laughs) But every now and then, man, I just need some airline or some rigid tubing or an air pump or things that are should or filter floss, things that should be super basic and they won't have it in stock. And they'll give me, you know, the offensive reply. Oh, I can order that for you. You know, so Mm. we're not here to say like every reef store is, you know, a slice of heaven. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. uh, All retail stores should always be hustling, right? Not just like you got to keep a ton of inventory on the shelves, right? And I think that's where the reef stores have done really well is they stock a ton of corals. They stock a ton of fish and inverts. Um, they'll have at least a few tanks for you. Um, and lots of gear, lots of gear always in stock or, you know, very soon, unless yeah. they just recently ran out. And so that's one of the things that really separates the, uh, the average fish store from, you know, a, a higher upper upscale reef store or aquarium store. But yeah, honestly, having some rigid airline tubing in your store should not be that exotic <laughs> it's not that expensive <laughs> to throw in the shell yeah man i know you won't sell that much but the one time that i come into your shop and i need it and you have it i will remember that <laughs> i will absolutely remember that so you know so this is also not really that different from when the internet started you know inter- internet sales really took off because i worked retail and back then all the aquarium stores thought that their their future was doomed yeah, but there's probably more aquarium stores today than there ever was, and there's certainly there's a lot more saltwater aquarium stores than there ever has been. Yeah, I mean, I was guilty of uh, I don't buy a lot of coral. You know, I'm I'm a pretty boring guy. I keep like the the, the same old corals I've been growing for like twenty. Okay, years. you come out next week. I'm gonna <laughs> hook you up, brother. But I, I'm probably not a, a a good local fish store customer because I, I don't buy a lot. But you know, like that mystery you asked, and that's not to. But make how this. many people have you sent there? A lot, probably. Yeah, uh, I wrote about yeah. them, and yeah, I hope so. I hope. I hope. Uh, I mean, they deserve it, you know. Um, but I so I, I was just casually talking with the owner George about mm-hmm. mystery asses, and he's like, uh, "Yeah, I haven't seen them in a while." Blah 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 blah. And then two days later, he emails me. He's like, man, I see them on the list. You want me to order you one? I was like, yeah. Yes, and please. then he he uh, he orders two. I drive in and he's like, here's the two, man. This one's feeding really good. He's a little bit bigger. This one's the this one's the Mac Daddy, right? And I was like, I'll take mm-hmm. that one, you know? Such a good user, like such a good customer experience that I was like, man, I need to really, if, I need, if I'm in the mood to buy coral, that's where I need to go, you know? Yeah, because so, um, yeah, you, you never know what's going to speak to you. Yeah. Right? You can see the pictures, you can look in the books, but when you see it in real life, like, all right, you'd never buy a, a Pavona based on a photograph, right? right. It's a regular, hairy Pavona de Cusada. But when you see them in real life, like the right shape and the right, you know, colony, you're like, oh my goodness, that is so freaking interesting. 
Yeah, it's and all if you, freaking neat. I mean, maybe I'm getting too philosophical here, but I oh, think when you're in on. a if you're in a fish store and you're looking at a bunch of stuff and something speaks to you, I think you're being true to yourself and what interests you more than when you're on Instagram and the hype machine is just mm-hmm. inundating you and you're like I think I want a $500 torch coral, you know, but like <laughs> when you're in a fish store, you're like, man, those, those bright orange mushrooms, like on that rock look phenomenal, man. I'm going to yeah. get those, you know, and all of a sudden you're, you're happy with your decision because you, you bought what you liked, not what, mm-hmm. what other people told you to like. So there's that too, but yeah. Deep so yeah, thoughts. I think there's, I'm actually, you know what? So I think the thing I am most interested in is that bulk resupply they really have their finger on the pulse of the reef aquarium hobby, right? They were the first company to bring in an automatic filter roll. And even though that didn't pan out, like they are willing to take risks. So I think one of the coolest things that they're going to be acquiring with um, the Marine Depot purchase is the Aquamax brand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, JNS is the manufacturer out of Taiwan, or at least they have been in the past. Like I, don't, I know they don't make the lights, but the yeah. brand is like is ripe for explosion, man. So I'm really excited to see some Aquamax filter rolls, um, some Aquamax pumps, some Aquamax. I mean, they already have protein skimmers, but their lights, like I use their lights. I had use them on my fish tank. It's like super slim, um, uh, passively cooled. It's not wireless or anything, but it's basically controllable. And it's just enough for my fish tank. But I also use um, some smaller Aquamax strip. It's, it's not really like a strip in, in typical sense because it's really thin and a little bit wider. Um, but super silent, super versatile. Man, I freaking love them. So, uh, Bulk Reef Supply, Ryan, I know you're listening. Um, you know, we're looking forward to see what you do with the Aquamax brand because, you know, Bulk Reef Supply started off with bulk goods, right? Their own f- products, basically, for reef aquarium um, medias and additives. And so, in this sense, they're going to be kind of getting back to their roots. So, you know, okay, maybe we lose... Uh, a vendor, but we gain a uh, more committed manufacturer. And as uh, you know, a, a reef tech blogger, oh man, that, that's one of the things that excites me the most. Yeah. Speaking of Aquamax, man, I love their little meteor reactors. You know, I don't get why mm-hmm. every meteor reactor is uh, like this tall, you know, I'm like, I just need a <laughs> cup of carbon y'all, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, but I love like, they've got the one where it's like the little pumps underneath and it just pops off and you walk over to the sink with it, you empty it, refill it and pop it back on the pump. And I'm like, this is brilliant. Yeah, um, so they, there's some. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit for um, Aquamax brand to kind of change the status quo and just bring a inter and introduce a, a lot more common sense into the reef aquarium. They did, hobby. man. Their skimmer cups had handles on them. You know, oh, when your yes. skimmer cup is this freaking wide, and you're like, man, if I spill this on the carpet, I'm dead meat. Oh, it's oh. got a cup. It's, <laughs> it's got a it's handle. Like, or sorry, yeah, it's got a handle, man. Big that that was solid gold. I was like, that's yeah. brilliant. And even when yeah. you have to untwist it, you know, where you're like, you're trying to untwist it, but then the whole thing moves and you're cussing at it because of the O-ring. <laughs> you can hold it and you just grab that little handle and twist. And I was like, man, why is this not on every skimmer? So yeah. lots, of, lots of credit to Aquamax for some good ideas. Yeah, no, very much looking forward to that. And like I said, um, I think the the overall internet would have been a greater threat to the retail space 20 years ago. But I mean, the the real market is the physical retail stores. And I'm going to keep going to my retail store and you know finding you know products that I didn't remember I needed and uh, corals and fish that I didn't know I wanted. Yep, and I mean. The good ones, 
continue to do well. You know, uh, yeah, if if you walk into a fish store and it's a mess and um, everything looks nasty and you feel like mm-hmm. you're breathing in black mold, you're going to go online. You know, but uh, if you have a good experience uh, and you build a relationship with your local store, you're going to want to keep going there, right? Because mm-hmm. it's it's a social fix. It's uh, it's fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it personifies the whole reef hobby. Yeah, so, absolutely. So I'm not worried about that. We'll, we'll definitely be watching this space, and um, I think it's probably mostly for the best. And, you know, this kind of a stronger competition will weed out some of the riffraff and just make everybody else stronger. Agreed. All right. Now we'd like to talk about the people who've inspired us in the reef aquarium hobby and uh, in the aquarium hobby in general. I think uh, it's only fitting that you uh, kick it off. Yeah. So uh, the reason I couldn't join Jake for uh, a podcast last week was because my dad's been battling cancer a long time and he uh, passed away this weekend. So, you know, we were by his side. Um, And, uh, but that got Jake and I talking about, you know, the role of our parents uh, in our passions, in our hobbies, you know, good parents help stimulate that. Um, My dad was not a reef hobbyist, but uh, it's funny. I talked to my mom about it a bit as well. And uh, growing up, he was not allowed to have any pets, right? His parents Mm -hmm. were like, no pets. So, you know, he told my mom when they got married, like, first thing I want to do is get a dog, you know? Um, (laughs) But he did have like a, apparently like a, a little water garden going on in back in Holland back in the day when he was younger and he would catch like freshwater eels, which us Dutch people love to eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he'd just catch all kinds of, you know, anyone that's been to Holland knows there's like what we call sloats or like uh, creeks like everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he, you could just go back there and um, you could get all kinds of aquatic plants like kabamba and elodia and stuff growing like crazy in there and uh, bitterlings, if anybody knows what those are that like mm-hmm. lay their eggs and mussels and so apparently he was doing that and I'm like, well, that explains where I got that from, you know? Um, but, uh, never gave me a hard time about my hobby, my tanks leaks. Right. Um, I had a big, you're always water aquarium. especially when you're young, like yeah. you're not prioritizing the, the cleanliness factor. Yeah. And they were just, they were supportive of that. You know, like, it's not like I had to keep it all up in my bedroom. There was a big old saltwater aquarium in the living room, uh, at one house and another house that was in the basement, but that's where I hung out, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, but it's just, uh, it, it it got me thinking too about myself. Like my kids are not into my hobbies, at least not yet. Um, but whatever they do get into, like, I just got to have that same approach, right? No matter what the mess is, if it does damage to my house or whatever, like just, just let them do it because, uh, you never know where that ends up. Right. Um, right. so, uh, as those kids grow, I, I can say for a fact, I would not be doing anything like what I'm doing now. If it wasn't for my mother, you know, um, we, she came home, uh, she came home one day when I was like 13. So yeah, we always had like a couple bowls here and like a, you know, like radiator slider and, a couple of guppies. I don't really count that as like the beginning of my aquarium keeping experience, right? Because that would be all my life. But it's when I really started paying attention. So she came home one day, kind of of an impulse buy, and had a, I think it was like a thirty-gallon tank with three white veil tails and three black moor goldfish, and I think all but one died within a few weeks. Because we didn't know nothing about nothing about nothing. Like just, she 
just the, the most clueless uh, non-Aquarius ever. And, uh, you know, very quickly you learned about the nitrogen cycle and better filters than the little bubble-up thing we were doing because goldfish are, you know, produce a lot of waste. And, oh, man, within three to four months, we must have had, like, ten tanks. And within a year, I had 20 tanks, like, everywhere. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, it was, it's this fish ate that fish. And so we had him give him his own tank. And then the tilapia buttercoferi was, like, so mean. I kept him in, like, a tub <laughs> by himself. He was still super cool. And then, you know, I had my African cichlid tank. And um, I didn't set up one saltwater tank. I set up two at the same time. So 29 and a 30-gallon right next to each other. I think we bought them off the trader which is like a you know like a printed classified ad and that was our jam that was like us like scanning for stuff and um uh i think i had a lee's bubble up uh lee's you know air driven protein skin counter current protein skimmer in there <laughs> um and yeah just you know started snapping up all the magazines and reading about everything and man i had my first zebra placo within about a year and just went all the way just all the freaking way and you know i guess you know when when kids are teenagers they're looking for some for something you know they're looking for something to be into besides girls or video games or cars or drugs and i wasn't into any of those things um i mean i think back then we're still only talking about like super nintendo <laughs> and i played those at my friend's house or whatever but i wasn't like just totally absorbed by it but when i got into aquariums man like any book i wanted um she'd always take me to the library um we drove to every store in like a three-state area you know by the time i was 14 i'd visited every fish store in georgia south carolina north carolina and a little bit in kentucky <laughs> and it was just you know like you know I, I have my first hot magnum the first the first filter I ever bought, like, you know, like, uh, um, educated purchase was an Emperor 400. And the second one was a hot Magnum 250. I still have my Marine Land hot Magnum 250. It doesn't have a button on the outside, but the impeller's long since gone. I haven't used it in a long time, but I still have it, you know, but just the support that was that was offered to to me in that regard is just that's priceless man because now it's my life my entire lifestyle it's shaped our friendship it's provided us with reef therapy you know i've traveled around the world on this ticket of visiting aquarium people and aquarium places and reef places and, and I, I know a lot of people can relate yeah i mean um it's like that butterfly effect right a little little flaps its wings and what does it turn into but um, it's crazy. I mean, um, I, I, my dad, we moved around a lot. I think we moved every, you know, on average, every two and a half years, we had some long stints in certain places. Um, but because of his job as a civil engineer, we were in the middle East, right? So we're, we're jamming in the Red Sea and Persian Gulf stuff. And, um, you know, before I was born, they lived in the Bahamas, but, so what's funny is like, you know, we were picking up stuff off the beach and, you know, that washes ashore after storms and stuff and we're collecting shells and, and then you get older and you get in the reef hobby and you're like, holy crap, that's a cone shell. And, uh, <laughs> and then we've got like tridacnid shells this big, you know, and, and all of that was just like in my house. Um, and it just cracks me up. But yeah, you talked about like books and publications, like when I wanted my FAMA subscription or Aquarium Fish Magazine subscription, no question, you know, just go for it, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it definitely makes me think of like 
how much he influenced even just, I mean, obviously, given it was so recent, I'm thinking about a lot of things about him and how he shaped my life. Of, but, you know, since this is about the hobby, of course, like I, I definitely thought about that as well, of just like how much of a profound influence somebody like that can have. And I mean, the lesson there for me is like, I got two kids and I got to, Dude, if they want to keep reptiles, which I don't like. <laughs> um, no, I don't. I'm I not think s- you could get down with some turtles. Yeah, I mean, we, we did have tortoises? a, uh, we had tortoises a bearded dragon for a while, you know, because my daughter wanted one. I mean, I, I've never said no to that. So, but, like, you know, just whatever they're into, just go for it. You know, just um, I, have a, I have a European friend who didn't know squat about baseball, was so excited to teach his kid about soccer. And the kid just got stoked on baseball. And he's like, well, I guess I'm learning baseball. And now the dude yeah. loves baseball, you know. So your kids also uh, broaden your horizons too, right? So Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, no, um, I think, you know, this is a, you know, con- condolences on your father, but, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're a good strapping young man and I think you'll, you'll do well. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Yeah. Thing. You know, uh, definitely shout out to my mom and, and, and your dad. Uh, and I'm sure everyone has someone in the hobby that they started young that really had a huge influence on how their experience of being in the reef aquarium or aquarium hobby or other hobbies. So yeah, definitely let them know um, what they've done for you so that they know. Yeah. And spend as much time as you can with them because I'm especially with all the COVID stuff that happened too. That was pretty crazy. And I know people lost a lot of loved ones, but um, you know, you, you just don't know how much time you have somebody. So it's a good reminder just to, to do that, to spend yeah, time. With absolutely. Them. Cool. Well, I think on that note, this has been a great renewed session yeah. of reef therapy. And I think our next one, we're going to do it not live, but you and I in the same room. And we're going to have two different cameras. And maybe we'll, sh- well, maybe we'll shoot. I don't I have no idea what to do other than walk you around, show you some corals. But uh, we'll, we'll sit down and talk about something interesting, something a little bit special. So if you guys uh, watching this on YouTube... Um, have any suggestions make sure to pop those down in the comments uh, don't forget that reef therapy is available through all the major podcasting nets the podcatching at network spotify google play um, and the apple store and uh yeah thanks a lot mark for this another session of reef therapy and we'll, we'll see everybody next week thanks jake and I'm, I'm super excited about next week it's like i got my golden ticket to the chocolate factory so i'm looking forward <laughs> to it <laughs> Well, you look in your reef tank and make sure you have a you know, plenty of room because I'm going to pile it on you like way more I, than you can handle, I'm sure. I have a hard time saying no to you, and that's that's what I'm afraid of is like I'm uh, like, I don't want any Acropor. I don't want any SPS. I want to keep it softy, and I'll be on the flight home like, damn it, like got a bunch of SPS. <laughs> I have no problem giving you more than you can handle and having you just kind of, you know, toss things to other folks that you know in the local area, maybe even kick back a frag for George yeah. Medina. Shout out to George. Shout out to George and Pure Reef in Alpharetta, Georgia. All right, Mark, great talking to you again, and uh, I'll see you next week, brother. Sounds good, man. Thanks. All right.